0: Be seated. I invite you to take a Bible and turn to the Gospel of John, Chapter 4 in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, John Chapter 4. Do you ever receive a mail and uh, wonder why it was sent to you? You open it up, you find that it looked like a check written to you on the outside, then you open it up and it's really a bill or uh, someone asking for money, but it doesn't start off the way it ends up. So I kind of learn with junk mail that I don't throw away at least immediately to go to the back and see where where all this is heading. John tells us the purpose why he wrote, wrote this gospel. Uh, It's one of the few books in the Bible where the purpose is clearly stated, and it's stated at the end. Right toward the end, John tells us that he has this purpose. He said that he wrote these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I want you to know that before we read the passage from John 4, because he had an evangelistic purpose in mind. So under the Holy Spirit's guidance, the disciple John selected events and narratives and sermons that Jesus preached, and he included those in this gospel, all for the purpose that you and I and all who would pick it up and read it or hear it might believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and having believed in that, might have eternal life. That was his purpose. With that in mind, John chapter 4. Verses 1 and following, perhaps the most insightful one-to-one conversation or the most extensive one that we have between Jesus and any person in all of the Bible. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's speaking about John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Your Bible may say it's about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, (coughs) said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray together. Our Father, perhaps there are some of us that... We don't know what living water is, or at least we haven't tasted of it. So we ask that you draw us to that point today. We pray also you'd help us to be better equipped as witnesses for Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. When Jesus called Simon and Andrew to be his disciples, they were fishermen. And he said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. He was teaching that to catch fish... You must go where they are. To catch men evangelistically, that's what he was talking about to Peter and Andrew, they must go where people are. And we see that modeled in the life of Jesus. He went to have dinner with a tax collector named Levi and Levi's friends. He spent time with those who were regarded as the wrong crowd He knew that the way to reach people is to go and meet them where they are on their own ground. We see that modeled in Jesus' ministry. We see that modeled in the life of the Apostle Paul, who went to a variety of places, and he did not expect people to come to him. He went to them. Now, the Pharisees, that was a religious sect. They were kind of like the Jewish lawyers of the day. It tells us in the opening part of the chapter, they are upset at the type of people Jesus is hanging with. And they said, just look at the kind of people with whom he's talking, even eating, which was a major sign of acceptance when you ate with a person. And he answered, don't you understand? I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now here at this public well, uh, he has a conversation with this woman. We're never told her name. He's planning to pass through this region called Samaria. He and his disciples are traveling. They're exhausted from the long trip. Jesus stops there by the well. The rest of his men head on into town to get food and supplies. It's noon. It's the sixth hour of the day. The sun is hot. And any thinking person that needed to draw water, and which would be quite heavy to fill containers or a large container to carry back to your home, you would do that when it was cool or the coolest, early in the morning, late in the day. You all notice how hot it was yesterday? I don't know if you had to do anything outside, mow the grass or do any kind of work, but a thinking person <laughs> would have done it early or around 8 o'clock last night. I went out around noon and I thought my brain was going to fry like an egg out there. So that's when people would have done that. But this woman, this divine appointment, shows up. Many people assume if you read commentaries on this, there's there's no lack of writing about this account. Just assume that she was doing that to avoid people, that there would have been a kind of a social time at the well. We saw that in Haiti a few weeks ago. We don't have wells, public wells here by and large in America, but in Haiti, even though they have water in their homes, in a lot of places, not in all, so you'd see these springs or these wells, and where these pumps that were pumping water and people would all be gathered there and they'd be filling up the containers and like this woman, then they put the containers, the women put them on their head and they, it's amazing to watch what these people can balance sometimes. But it's more, it's a social thing, no one seemed in a hurry there at the well to get their water and hurry on back to the house. So this woman comes by herself, we assume, to avoid the scrutiny of others. Perhaps, from all indication, maybe she had a reputation that made her a person that might have gotten a cold shoulder from others. But anyway, she comes at this time. What I want you to notice is Jesus has enough interest in her to initiate a conversation. And often we have interest in people as people, but Perhaps we aren't even interested enough to talk to them. And it's a simple conversation. In verse 7, he just says, give me a drink of water. He takes the initiative. He makes contact with her socially, and in so doing, he is crossing several cultural barriers. She's a Samaritan. That comes out in the conversation. There's a long history there. To make a long story short, those were Jews that had remained behind hundreds of years before, that had intermarried with Gentiles, and now essentially they are half-breeds. And there was great racial tension between those who were pure Jews by birth, by blood, and those were her, her Samaritans. That's nothing new in, in history, but there was racial tension there. Uh, you can think of any kind of racism you want to think in our country and every country has its own when i went to eastern europe everybody hated the gypsies and there are lots of them around and they're very they're very distinct in their appearances and that's just but there was racism so he crosses this racial barrier also she was a woman which would not have been just like today if a complete stranger walks up to a woman out there and a man talks to her that's a little bit um and a little bit of a social stigma there But Jesus doesn't allow these things to stop him. He initiates the contact. Many of you here, probably all of us, have an entire network of people that God has placed in our lives through schools, through clubs, through work, through neighborhoods, through family, through acquaintances, because you know someone who knows someone. You have a mission field, and that is your mission field. It isn't a faceless group on the other side of the world. It is those people whom God has placed in your, for lack of a better term, spheres of influence, contact circles, whatever you want to call it. The problem is most of us don't open our eyes to notice that. We go through our day and we do what we plan to do, nothing wrong with that, but we become very, the word is myopic, our focus becomes very limited. And maybe sometimes we need to stop and say, will you give me a drink of water, based on what their needs are. So do you pray for people regularly? Do you ask God to open their eyes? Do you ask him to change their will to receive Christ? Well, anyway, Jesus begins this conversation. He could have started a thousand different ways. Lady, do you know who I am? But he begins with something in common with both of them. Water, at the moment. The need for water, it was simple, it was easy to understand. She's obviously interested because she'd come there to draw it. Now, what if you showed up at a First Presbyterian Church uh, midweek training session on how to share your faith with others? And we spent an hour going through an outline of the gospel and gave you some training that may be new to some of you, not new to others, and said, Okay, here's your assignment. Um, in fact, I'm going to bring this, this person in. I, I met them today and asked them to come participate with us. This person is not a uh, believer; does not profess faith in Christ. In fact, it's got a pretty bad reputation, known all over town. I mean, this person goes through marriages like Elizabeth Taylor, you know. So, and uh, this this I'm going it's a man, and 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 so you you're a woman sitting here in my class, and I'm gonna bring him in here, and I'd like for you to talk to him about the gospel. Where would you start? I don't know where I would start. That would be pretty intimidating to have that kind of situation. Jesus sees the emptiness in this woman's life. She apparently has tried to fill that emptiness with relationships. She has not figured out life. She does not know where she fits in life. The Bible tells us, if you don't know Christ, you cannot figure out the basic questions of life. Who made me? Why am I here? And where am I going? Who made me, why am I here, and where am I going? If you can't figure those questions out, you don't really know where you fit in life. And so, therefore, we may bounce around from one thing to another, trying to fill that up. When I was in about the ninth grade, I heard a speaker at a Christian meeting use an analogy I've never forgotten. And he completely described my life at that time. I don't remember his name. I remember he was from Huntsville, Alabama, and he had come to this Campus Crusade for Christ meeting to speak. And in his presentation, as he was telling about himself, he said, Before I knew Christ, my life was like a spaghetti bowl, which is really called a what? A colander. Thank you. And so it's the bowl with all the holes in it, guys. You know, all I know in the kitchen is the ice cream and the bowls and the spoons. And so I know what one of those looks like. He said, that was my life, and I put a lot of things into it. I tried to fill it up, and I don't remember his specific list, but with sports and recognition and pleasure and all these things, good works. He said, I was putting all these in, and they just ran right out. And I said, man, you have described my life to a T, the spaghetti bowl. Well, that's what this woman apparently had done, at least in that area, and it just had not—it had not fulfilled her. Maybe that describes you. Do you long for a satisfaction and a fulfillment that you have yet to find? You may look like you're satisfied and fulfilled, but you know internally, uh, I'm a colander. I'm a colander kind of person. Well. Jesus doesn't begin by confronting her about the issues in her life. He begins with where she is, which is water. And I think an effective witness for Christ, those of you who are very effective in talking and consistent and talking with others about Christ, you're probably not any more knowledgeable, knowledgeable about the gospel than everybody else. You just care enough to find out what other people are interested in. And that's a rare thing. And when you get with someone, you know how to ask a few questions in a short time. You can say, you know, I know that guy, but in five minutes I found out that he's got a rebellious child. Or he and his wife care for a, uh, uh, an aged relative. Or, um, or that person moved here because they were let go from a job and they really didn't want to come here. They had friends and had lived where they were a long time. They got your antennas up just to try to understand people and where their needs are. And that's what that's where, to me, effective witnessing begins. Well, the woman's intrigued. She's surprised that Jesus, this Jewish man, would ask her for a drink of water. She's surprised, not only him being a man, but that he's Jewish and speaking to her, just like he would have been if she had spoken to him. And so in verse 9 she says, how can you ask me for a drink? And then she gives all those reasons. You being a man, me being a Samaritan and so forth. His question had sparked an interest in her the bible says christians are to be the salt of the earth salt had two purposes in those days one it was to be a preservative we don't use it so much that way today but it was how you preserved meat and so forth believers are to be a moral preservative in the world we're also to be a seasoning we add flavor to life salt makes people thirsty I mentioned at the first service that I heard long ago, you can not you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it. Thank you, but you can feed it salt. <laughs> Maybe you can't make it drink, but you can give it some salt. And that's what God does, and he gives people sometimes, his believers, as salt, and it makes people thirsty. Well, this woman's kind of becoming thirsty now to what Jesus is saying. So in verse 10, Jesus moves the conversation a little bit different direction. He mentions, well, I'm not talking about water, this water. I'm talking about living water. She misunderstands him. She's still thinking only of the water down that deep hole there at Jacob's well. But he's aroused interest in her. In verses 13 and 19, she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? I mean, he was great. He dug this well. Are you greater than that? And Jesus then begins to reveal the truth. And he says that the water from this well will only satisfy you for today, but the water that I can give you will give continual satisfaction. Well, now she's really interested. So she says, I want that. Give me that. I want this water, so I won't have to carry this container down here and go through the rigmarole of the labor of getting this water and hauling it back up to where I live. She still doesn't grasp what he's talking about. She still doesn't know who she is. The Bible says we are born into this world and and we therefore are dead in our sins. And we cannot figure out life without faith in Christ. Without Christ, we are all like this woman just trying to figure out what is meaning and purpose through various means, but it can't be done. It cannot be done apart from him. You have to be able to answer those questions, who made me, why am I here, and where am I going? Can you answer those for yourself? I can. I can answer those. I was born at a particular time that God chose. He wove me. The Bible says he knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, I was not here by accident, regardless of the circumstances of the birth. As, a, as a, a young boy, I found out that I'd been created in the image of God, it tells us. That I was not a higher-functioning animal or a plant that moved but something separate from God's creation, something unique. But also realized that I was a sinner, that I'd committed crimes against God. And the older I got, and the more times my mother dragged me to church, which she did, my mother was a Christian, my dad was not, she forced me to go with her. Uh, I don't remember much about the big church services, this, uh, uh, but I remember the Sunday school teachers. Usually they were elderly, gray-haired ladies, but they had something I didn't have, and they knew Christ and they would talk about it, and they'd talk about the second coming, and they'd talk about the Bible. And the more I heard, the more I realized when I heard the word sin that I was a sinner. And so when someone read to me the verse from Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that was me.